0: good morning
1: good afternoon what's up
0: did you say good evening afternoon it's always good morning here
1: it's a gm culture
0: i'm so over it can we talk about how we're over like web three a little bit
1: what's up what's going on over there
0: I just noticed something about myself, and I'll let you know in a minute.
1: So, so why are you over why are you over web three? We will get rolling in a minute.
0: Hey hey hey! <laughs> All right, what's up? I know you hear stepping in the background. All right, everybody, welcome, welcome to Fashion Friday. Hey hey hey! We're gonna tweet out the room, and you know we're just gonna talk about how you feel about Web three right now. I mean, I feel like this this has to be a venting session. I've seen so many people. As of late, like just crying over everything that's going on, right? How do you actually feel? Because now, I'm,
1: what are they crying I over?
0: Everything. It's like everything's a scam. Everything is uh, a rug pull. You know, it's like, are you here, you know, happy with everything that's going on in Web3? Like, what's going on?
1: I mean, we can talk about it a little bit. I'm fine. But, uh, <laughs> I was never here for the same things, I think. So I, th- I think it depends on why you're here.
0: Yeah, so uh, all- I'm getting phone calls at the same time. It's ridiculous right now. But anyway, you guys, go ahead and tweet out the room. Hit that bubble on the right-hand corner of the screen and hashtag Fashion Friday and get some people in here. We got Shekinah. Hey. It'll be the one week that Shekinah's, I don't know. Actually, it's
2: not, <gasps> it's
0: not Oh, my God. The one week she I don't say Shekinah, and it's somebody else. Wow. So every time, she's like, it's Shekinah. It's Shekinah. What? Oh, my gosh.
3: I was
4: just with Shekinah. Um, she's doing rad, but um, I thought I would just, like, I'm on a
0: train heading out to my house. I've been in the city. So i like, I'm coming in. I'm coming in. And,
1: uh, Man, it's, it's been a minute.
0: And what's your name?
4: Uh, I'm Andy. So uh, with George, I'm kind of like, the, um, you know, we kind of like, we keep building, we're building, we building, and um, we're almost ready to start delivering some sneakers and some jackets.
0: I'm I'm definitely dropping the links in other places. I just wanted to let you guys know, if you wanted to come up, feel free. I know I usually do a big Twitter blast, but I've been busy all day. It's been ridiculous. I've just been out here on these Twitter streets, uh, be, of course, building some things for myself and for the community, for the people. So, you know, you want to come up, you want to talk, you want to chit-chat about fashion, you want to chit-chat about how you're miserable in Web3, feel free to come up. Matt, how do you feel about Web3 right now?
3: Oh, it's a lot. But, you know, it, it's, it's always going to be a slow build, I think. It, it, we're all expecting things to develop faster than I think the tech is really enabling. So it, it's all really about pacing yourself. I, I mean, in fashion, you know one thing. You're trending for two seasons, and then you have five until you hit again. So, you know... It's all about pacing yourself, knowing that there's going to be ups and downs, but being able to ride the wave, knowing and being able to shift as it moves.
0: I love that. I definitely, I definitely see that. And, you know, I see a lot of people getting kind of disheartened by what's going on. You know, you got the Twitter spaces where everybody yelling at each other. Everybody's an influencer scammer. (laughs) you know everybody and and then you have our Twitter space we we're just, we're just chilling and talking about the future you know and and that's what i'm looking forward to is the future and the one thing i, I said earlier i noticed something about myself and 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 i'm gonna tell you what it is i noticed that i'm he- actually here for the tech right i'm here for the tech and the community obviously <laughs> obviously but i'm here for the i'm i really do, i really look forward to where this technology could take us.
5: I'm yeah. so totally with you. I mean, you know, because it's like web, th- I haven't applied web three sort of technology to my day-to-day work, but I'm here to learn about it and like, you know, like learn about what's going on. So fascinating.
3: Oh,
0: Steve. Yeah, but I'm 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 definitely here for the future. So I used to call myself a futurist, right? And that's how I think I really got into the mindset of what's going on with Web three. And you know, I I'm I'm find myself going back to that, right? I'm a futurist. I I want I want the future to be better and brighter. I want the future to be more than what it is today. And that's where I think I stand with when it comes to Web three. You know, Steve, how are you feeling about the the current conditions of of Where we are here in Web3 and Metaverse, whatever you want to call it.
6: I mean, I feel great, honestly. Like, I think I probably have a different point of view than a lot. But, I mean, to me, it's like we're right on time, if not quicker than I expected. Right. I, I remember hearing Gary Vee a few years ago, or last year, I should say, say or maybe it was a year and a half when VFriends were coming out, being like, this is going to be all over the place in, you know, five, ten years. And I feel like we're already seeing some big brands adopt pretty quickly. Um, you know, we're seeing Starbucks. We've seen, you know, Gucci starting to play a little bit. Um, I think where we're seeing uh, larger brands have a more willingness to step in than I expected with the regulatory environment. Um, So I think we're right on track. But one thing I've said before in these spaces, and I'll continue to say is that it just depends how you define mass adoption and positive movement. Um, You know, to some people, that's, we want people to come in and buy my bags and people to come in and there's liquidity in the market. And to others, and this is more where I stand, it's how is the technology fundamentally going to enhance the lives of people, right? Like, all of what we're doing right now is getting to be early adopters. We have the privilege of playing around with this technology before it goes mainstream. We get to understand it before everybody else. Um, And so to me, like it's actually a head of schedule as crazy as that sounds. I think it's just hard for people to see it because we're so locked into a bear market with the same hundred thousand wallets. And um, you know, I I think a lot of people say, where's the volume, where's the volume. And I I said this on Ryan Carson's space that you co-hosted the other day, but like, you know, to me, like volume is, not the relevant metric. To me, the relevant metric is new wallets. If there are more people coming in, uh, it's better because otherwise we're trading the same JPEGs back and forth. We're getting eaten up by fees and we're getting eaten up by um, gas and slowly that money of the same pot disappears. So, um, you know, to me, like, I think we're ahead of schedule and I think we're all just getting the luck. We're all just fortunate to play around with the tech before it goes everywhere else.
0: I do. I agree. I agree with what you said. Exactly. So um, the technology, right? I know you and Steve. When did, when is this book dropping? This uh, Penguin book that you
6: will <laughs> well, um will will formally announce the book is coming out um uh, next week. I'm waiting for my co-author to get some compliance stuff taken care of with um his his employer A16Z, and then um will uh once we get the thumbs up from A16Z compliance we'll drop the formal announcement next week uh we're just having them review like the web page which is a simple web page with the form and then the book will be next year at some point just cuz publishing takes a while um but we're excited because i think we have the opportunity between the two of us to get um we both have a lot of scale as far as like large you know connections with large brands connections with you know other people um in the uh, you know in large organizations you know again he's a researcher at A16Z and a Harvard professor so the hope is that you know we can get this in the hands of a lot of decision makers at major companies speak with them things like that and kind of really get this thing rolling
0: do you think you'll um you'll end up doing another book with the updates
6: Well, I mean, here's the thing. This particular book is going to be made to be evergreen. So the idea is that even if there are concept, um, case studies in it that seem outdated and examples, the framework that we're building, we want it to be a framework that you can open up and for years to come understand what, um, for years to come, you would know it would still work. Right. If you pick this book up in 20 years, I, I equated to Gary Vaynerchuk wrote the book Crush It uh, way back when social media was first emerging. If you read Crush It, his principles very much hold up. Now, some of the examples are dated. Um, another good example of that is if anybody's read, there's a UPenn professor, Jonah Berger, his book Contagious. Um, again, similar situation. Examples and case studies uh, may be dated the actual framework of contagious that the steps S T E P P S. If you look at like what he is kind of spouting there, that still is relevant today. So I think, um, the goal is that that'll happen, but yes, I mean, in a perfect world, I mean, the goal would be like, if this book is successful, I would love to write another one, another one, another one. I'd love to write books forever just because I love, I love writing things that I feel like need to be written. If I write an article, if I write a tweet thread in my mind, it feels like I feel like I need to get this thing out into the world. And so, um, you know, I've always wanted to sort of write a book. And and to me, like, I never had like this motivation where I'm like, okay, I want to go write this thing. And after, you know, Scott and I, after we wrote the Harvard Business Review article, we were just like, look, I feel like, um, you know, we want to put this thing out into the world. And there's something important here. And we feel like we could kind of help, um, you know, help move things forward. So, you know, to I me, mean? like, that was the ultimate goal of it. So I mean, I would love to write a second one if, if we could. And Uh, Continue to go on forever, but you know who knows if it's if it's a one and done. It's still like a bucket list item of my life that I'll 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 tick off, so that'll be pretty cool.
0: James,
1: yeah, I mean, look, I'm here for the.
0: (laughs) I'm like eating in the
1: background, listening to Steve. I can listen to Steve all day. No, Um, I
0: can listen to Steve all day too. Yeah.
1: So for me, it was always about the technology. I mean, it, it intrigued me. And then, obviously, I, I saw an opportunity to continue my passion, um, use, utilizing the technology. But it look if, if people were here for for you know purely for the money, which a lot of people were, obviously, when the market turns down, um, there's not a whole lot here for them. So you're going to hear a lot more complaining. You're going to hear a lot more whining. You're going to hear a lot more negativity. Um, that's just noise to me, and that's not like any other industry that I've I've ever been in when things are great you know, everybody's popping bottles and doing their thing. And when things are not, everybody's pointing finger at, at each other and, you know, arguing, bickering over shit. And it's just, it's dumb. It's just noise. Um, I think builders are going to build and do what they got to do. And, and you're probably going to hear less from them. Um, and the people that are going to make noise are the people that were probably not here for the right reasons anyway. Um, and then you're going to have people, you know, also taking advantage of the opportunity and making a lot of noise from a marketing perspective. Um, and just building and you know building their their personal brands and doing that whole thing, we're seeing a lot of that go on right now too. And I think a lot of people are doing certain things um, for really interesting reasons. You know, picking fights and doing this and that. And I mean, I was in a space the other day where somebody was just wasn't even there to defend themselves. And I've heard this dude speak in, in the morning coffee with captains and sounds like a really good dude and whatnot. And you know, rumors flying, accusations being made. And the guy's not even there to, to kind of talk. So I, I don't know. I just uh, sometimes I think it's all about it's all about trying to just draw attention to yourself right now when, when stuff's like this. And it's just it's sad. But uh, it is what it is.
0: What do yeah. you think? Yeah, no, I get frustrated with rumors like I, I do. I get frustrated with rumors because a lot of people don't have enough information to even determine that things are true or false. And you can damage people by throwing out rumors. It makes me it does make me kind of angry Especially when the information isn't even uh, damning, right? It's not something that you can physically see. It's a rumor that someone else told you through you heard through a third party, you know. So for me, I I like to look out, just pay attention, kind of to to the to the people who are who are saying, you know, these things are wrong, right? You know what I mean? It's just like I I, I can't come to conclusions over these people. Because I didn't do the research, so I will not judge these people. You get what I'm saying? And I know exactly what you're talking about, James. And um, I'm, I'm just like, I don't have enough en- enough evidence for to judge this person, so I will not do so publicly, right, publicly.
4: That's I think I that's totally right. I mean, the, there's so much energy that's wasted on the negativity. I actually don't know, if you're trying to build something, how you even spend time kind of like building without being, you know, right without being invested in the positive aspect of, of whatever it is that you're trying to build. And it's like, this is, this is life. Like there's always, there always people going to throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. And that's like, you can you spend your energy like kind of focused on that and trying to like work your way around that and through that, but the builders continue to build. Like, you know, this is no, I think really no different from life and you just got to stay focused on what you're, what you want to, where you want to go, what you want to achieve, and how you're going to get there. And, and honestly, like how you get there is really more important than getting there in itself. Like it sounds like a massive cliche, but how you do business, how you treat people, how you conduct yourself, how you think, what you say, how you say it like these are all things that just in life is good practice. And I, I don't see, I don't see that it should be any different than Web3 versus Web2. Like goodness is goodness, and the more goodness that you kind of give, it's going to come back. It's, it always comes back. Sorry, I was upset, no, what gracious. no
0: you're fine i call it giving people grace right you give people grace because we're all human beings nobody's inherently good nobody be inherently
6: bad. Bad. and be gracious
0: yes yes Mr.
6: Sure. Mr. i mean you know, i i think what it comes down to like it's your point again not to go totally cliche but it's very important for me that it, winning the right way right like like not just winning but winning the right way um you know, my my family laughs at me because I'm hyper-competitive and I've managed to, when I was a kid, that translated to being a sore loser. And as I've gotten older, I'm still a sore loser. I just don't act like an asshole when I lose anymore. And um, as I've gotten, like, a a lot older into that point, like, I, I was so competitive. My parents would think it was funny because you would never have to question whether I cheated or not because I wouldn't cheat because if I cheated and I win, what was the point of winning? Like, and I know that, like, there's, you know various lines of that, that people have, where it's like you know, hey, like you know, James James played college football at a very high level, right? He played at Florida State, and anybody who plays at that high of a level knows that there's going to be, you know, you're going to try to you know get away with some holding and some other things and some you know some some different like there's there's lines and everything like that. But to me, it's like you know, if I'm playing uh, Scrabble with my friends or I'm playing whatever, there's a 0% chance that I am cheating because I don't want to cheat and win. And like how you win has always been really important to me because selfishly internally, I can't celebrate a victory if I did something shitty to get there. And so, you know, I, I do think it's important to, um, and I, and I look at other people and whether it's fair or not, you know, I hold people who I'm friends with and otherwise to that same standard where it's like, look, if you won in an immoral way or a shitty way, um, you Know that's not cool, and that's just the standard I try to hold myself and others to, um, you know, as I go through it. So, I think it's absolutely fair to say, you know, how you get there. Um, you know, that said, like, I do think that there is like different ways to win, right? I mean, like, you know, Alex and Thread Guy were having a shouting match with T today on a, um, on a Twitter space, but that's also a sh- you know, not a shtick. I mean, they're both very smart, Alex, Thread Guy, uh, you know, like, but they're doing a thing that entertains people, so I think it's okay if it doesn't cross lines. And like, if I think it crossed lines, I'll say something, you know, I, I tweeted at Alex today. Cause he, he made a comment about thread guy and the Ape council. And I was like, look, I don't think you intend it, but you're taking a giant ricochet shot on the seven people who got apply, who got, who got to be on this Ape council who are all deserving and help build it. I agree. Thread guy will be a great addition. And thread guy wasn't even asking for it. Alex was just caping for his friend, which I also respect, right? Like you're trying to help your friend out. Um, but I think that they, they create a form of entertainment for people that they need. And it shows. And like. You know, if there's 700 people showing up in a Twitter space on a regular, then they're doing something right. And that's OK, as long as it's not at anybody's expense. And so I think there's different ways to win and different ways to figure it out. But, James, the example from this morning was a great one where somebody asked me specifically, how do you feel about this person who had an investigation about them or, or like a threat about them? And my answer was, I don't have the evidence to make that judgment. So I'm not going to. And until I feel like I do, uh, I'm not going to make a judgment one way or the other. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong but I want to be able to assess for myself. So I'm not prejudging someone based on accusations. And I'm also not saying that this person is innocent without knowing the truth. So until I have the energy and time to do it, I can't make that judgment myself. And it's, it is, it is wild to me how many people will just take other people's word immediately without sort of, you know, it's a classic do your own research situation.
1: And that's the way it should be. Like that's how people should approach everything in in life and especially in a space like, in a community space like this, like that's what I got really upset last night when I was listening to that space. And I was like, I cannot believe that this person's not here to defend themselves. And you're so adamantly that this is where it crosses the line. It's it's like the bachelorette, right? Like we, we, we watch trash TV. We enjoy it. It's entertainment. But sometimes on that show people throw fists and they cross the line. And then there's a, a line between entertainment and like things that you just don't want, want to see and hear and shouldn't be because it's not appropriate. And what they need to remember is they have a lot of viewers just like, even though the ratings might spike, it's like, it sends the wrong message. And that was where I was like, all right, you're crossing the line because this is someone's reputation. Who's not here to defend themselves. That's just, that might sound fun and funny, but that's not cool because this is like, it might seem like a big space, but it's a small space. And everybody talks. And every, the next day, people start talking about stuff and it like, and then it snowballs. And then when does fiction become reality? Right. Like, because it's just been said so many times. So for me, it's like there's two things I look at it's legacy and victory. And which one do you value more? If it's victory, then do whatever it takes to just win. I guess if that's all that you care about. If it's legacy, then win the right way, to your point. Right. It's like because people are going to look back and remember you, your legacy is going to be how you conducted yourself, win or lose. But if you won and you won in the wrong way, they're going to remember that more than anything. So I just I think legacy is so important and I love the trash spaces like I think they're whatever they're entertainment to a degree. But when they cross the line and, and a lot like it's like the the caveat of trash spaces is you've always got to up yourself the next time. So you start to cross the line more and more and more and you start, you like you lose perception of the actual line and I think that that's nuts to me. It's just like it gets out of control. Anyway, that's that's my rant.
0: You know what it reminds me of It reminds me of like superhero movies, right? Like the new ones, not the old ones where nobody was held accountable. You know, it reminds me of when the superheroes would come in and they would tear up the cities and they would get sued and they would, you know, things rea- realistic things would happen to them and they'd be like, "Oh wow, like I was just trying to save everybody," and and that goes to the point where of, of you know when people think they do good when they're doing harm also. So you know, um, I wish people would pay attention to that because it's this hero kind of mentality that people have. When, when they know that they don't think about the, the lives on the other end that are actually suffering from the things that they're saying. So, you know, that's why I really don't practice myself vigilanteism unless I have, like, real some, some information that is, is you know, rooted in, in some deep truth, right? So, what's up,
7: Chris? Hey, uh, good afternoon, good Friday to all of you. Uh, so I, I want to uh, double down on what James was saying and what was being said earlier as far as, one, uh, when people, you know, tell you who they are or are telling you who they are through their words and their actions, just listen, right, because you'll find out, uh, and this goes back to Steve's point, too, about, you know, that builders will build and people will do things, but they will also show you who they are uh, and that reputation uh, which is kind of what James was talking about, you know, as legacy, your reputation, your um, how you're trusted, and how you're how you act. That's going to go much farther in this space uh, than how many followers you got, how much ETH you have in your wallet, all of that stuff, because it goes back to trust. This space is about trust. Uh, I believe that more than anything, uh, and. Um, good and bad, people will show you who they are and how they earn it and how they keep that trust. So um, I, that's just what I, I want to contribute to that. Uh, I, I appreciate uh, y'all doing this on Friday. It makes it drive home a little bit easier.
0: Okay, thanks, Chris. And then trust, right? How do you feel about trust? Like, I understand, you know, how much is is too much trust for people on the internet that you don't know? Like, that's the question that I want to know. You know, how much do you actually trust these people, you know, that we are interacting with? Right. Like how much is too much too? because I think sometimes people lean in and they're like this guy, I see him every day. He's he's very trustworthy. You know, um, how do you determine, you know, what lines to draw when it comes to trusting people on Internet?
1: I mean, yeah, but that's why they invented Zoom. Like you know me. I can't stand you James. I get a Zoom can't... with everybody because I gotta see the whites of your eyes and I gotta hear the sincerity in, in your voice while looking at you and, and try to understand like where you're coming from and and I think that that's underrated in this space and, and mm-hmm. that's why I try to do so much of it uh, and actually Zoom with a lot of people down in the audience too anyway but, but that's just I think that that's like I think that's, a, there, that's, that's something we should all aspire to do we really want to get to know really- each other How do you develop trust without that that's my thing stacky i'm I'm just curious oh are you questioning me sir
0: no i know you don't like (laughs) zoom but it's like i i feel like it's valuable
1: for the reasons that i mentioned so i'm just curious no so
0: so that too like i actually trusted you more because you decided to zoom though like you you went to the extra mile to try to figure out who i was versus you know just accepting that hey okay it's random stranger let's go i'm gonna connect myself with this person you know, um, I tried to build relationships. Yeah, I know some people don't don't like to dox themselves, but I try my best to build relationships with people. And you know, I do, James, like actual relationships with people. Now, as we're speaking, by the way, I'm on video, actually streaming in our <laughs> in our group in my group chat on Telegram, so they see me while I'm talking to you. But um, yeah. <clears throat> I have a group of trust- trustworthy people, people that I actually, I actually trust. Right. But you know, who, who is it that you need to like, you don't know, you wouldn't speak to a founder of a project. Right. Not, not personally, not a lot of people don't. I mean, I would, but you know, a lot of people won't do it. A lot of people are afraid to, a lot of people just don't, you know, or you could can, can't access the person. So, I mean, how much trust do you have for people who who have projects? that you invested so,
7: so I think that's a that's a thing where uh, again people will show you who they are and also um, you gotta ask you know I, I have heard every probably every day since I've been in this you want do you want to know something you want you're in a position now where you can send a message to a founder somebody who's building a business, to ask them about their thing, learn from them, learn how they're doing it. Even if you're not, not going to build any projects, that's just not who I am. I want to contribute. I want to help. I think I have a lot of other skills that I can do for uh, projects and, and be able to contribute and help grow the space. Mm-hmm. I'm just like that. I, it's knowing who you are and knowing who you aren't. But I, there are people that have shown me that they're trustworthy and that my trust can be given to them. And there's some that I just don't know yet, right? Like I, one way or the other. But I see how they act. I see how they talk. I see how they treat other people, and that, again, shows me who they're at just by listening to them.
0: And that's good because you got pretty good observation skills too. Like some people, some people choose to to follow blindly, right? That's that's where we get the people who are angry, by the way. Because the people who don't follow blindly, I mean, most of them are in here, honestly you know, people who come to the conclusion on the on their own, you know, who do the research and come to these conclusions based off of, you know, the information that's presented in front of them. So, you know, um, before we get to fashion, which I want to, uh, Mad has all the like fashion
8: takes, but Mary Beth. Hey Mary Beth. What's good? Mary Beth Salas here. Thank you, Stacky, for having me. And what up, Clubhouse Archives and Steve. You missing like a bunch of people. Say hi, Matt. <laughs> oh, look, I was saving the best for last. So, hello, Matt, Colton, Rain. Oh, uh, what's up, I, Michael? I think I um tuned in offline to your space earlier today. And Chris, what's good? There you go. Perfect, perfect. And then we got Leslie in the audience. But uh,
0: we were talking about just the vigilante behavior that's been going on in the space. How you feel about it? How do you feel about Web three right now? You know um and then we were going to go to fashion
8: with here with matt <laughs> oh boy uh the vigilante thing how do i feel about web 3 i mean what time is it you know what i mean like i'll let you know according to the day and the time um it's interesting because like for example this is very specific you know i was in a space earlier um and it was about uh, more so web 2 film like um, i don't even want to use the word web 2 film industry coming into web three. And so like, that's my professional background, right? I came from that industry and it's just like, uh, like I already know that they don't understand the web three space, right? The sentiments, the communities. And then whenever I see web three based film projects, um, I'm like, oh, they don't understand the film business, right? And so like, when it comes to stuff like that, I'm always on the fence, like, do I help them? I, they will reach out to me if needed slash like this is where it's going to go wrong or do they have a plan for this, right? And it's, I just, I tend to watch a lot and just observe and see how different projects um, handle things. And the vigilante thing, I, I'm i not really sure. In Web3, I feel like I don't trust the vigilante access or bec- er, aspect, Um Only because the ones that I've seen attempt to do it were actually kind of maybe former Ruggers slash, you know, it was kind of their form of redemption. And I get that, but it would have worked if they were absolutely um, truthful, honest, and, you know did some admission of the truth in terms of where they went wrong. Right. If they were to able to communicate because that's what's expected in the sentiment of web three, like, Hey, we want you to be transparent. All right, bet. This is where I went wrong. This is what happened. Like, let me be a vigilante now, you know, but I just don't see it as helpful because it's just another questionable layer of a niche in web three.
0: I agree. And I made a post the other day about how, um, you know, anti-influencer is actually influencer, right? It's the it's the craziest freaking, like,
8: so Wait, what? what? There's Anti- an anti-influencer thing? I mean, I know that's always been a, a topic in spaces, but is there actually there's a, a hashtag thing. about that or something?
0: There's, there's people, you know, there's a bunch of people who don't like influencers. And the thing is, is once you have influence, you are now an influencer. So it's just this well, kind everyone of... everyone has influence. Like once you uh, okay the let's say in specific like you know a certain amount of influence right this is like the the uh the target it's it's like people with blue check marks it's people who have over twenty thousand followers it's people who use their platform to I uh, guess promote other projects or what's the, wrong with that yeah that, to me nothing
8: okay because the people who are complaining about that first of all are actually using that little hater, Gatorade, haterade movement in order to grow their following just to provide a platform for themselves when they launch their own thing. I see, I see it happen every day. Just saying. I agree. That's why I don't go into those spaces anymore. And Uh I'm like, Oh my God, this was like clickbait. And they brought me in to kind of try to dog on me. Like I get it. But I mean, the day they start, getting paid for doing some type of professional service is the day they will shut the f up that's all i'm trying to say
0: the crazy thing is they probably wouldn't so i asked somebody who is actually a friend of mine who's actually anti-influencer you know i don't i don't really keep my mouth closed when it comes to stuff like that so i asked somebody i said if you had a check mark would your views change would you your rhetoric change because there's like this, uh, the check mark bandit thing going on. I'm like, well, if you had a check mark, how would you feel? <laughs>
1: I, I have a question on that. What is it, What does it mean to be anti influencer? Like, what is that even? What is what is their viewpoint of a perfect world then? Like, everybody has the same amount of followers?
0: Anybody anti influencer in here want to uh, answer that question?
9: Also, what is a, what's up, guys? Also, what does a blue check mark even mean at this point?
8: Look, mine's <laughs> Web2 affiliated. So, like, with or without Web3, I'm fine with it so like people always think it only has left this whole twitter was like way in existence way before web 3 and so i've actually been in spaces where they're like what makes you qualified to speak why do you have a check mark i'm like actually well, my expert commentary in public relations has been in time magazine money.com and i've been on tv on entertainment tonight and other news sources what's your story and that's the only way i can respond it might might sound a little sassy or whatever but like i have some kind of defense mech- like mode whenever i address that because it's just like why do you care why are you asking and like you're already coming at me with some kind of you know microaggressive tone whatever so i in web3 i don't really think it matters i think being transparent about who you are matters Um, but I think people start hating on it because web two brands and companies take it a little bit more seriously because they come from the traditional marketing and business Twitter world. And if that's the position, for example, like that I'm in or someone else with the blue check mark, it's like, cool, whatever. Like I earned it, deal with it.
1: I I think we need it though. I think uh, here's, here's my thing. I think web three needs its version of the blue check mark. Like, some sort of verification for people to have have a trust uh stamp have a trust uh, value associated with them because I, I look at the blue check mark in a, ver- a variety of ways like some people i sometimes scratch my head um but most most of the time a majority of the time i'm like okay like i look them up like they're yeah like they're, there's a reason why they have that it's kind of similar to what you you said marybeth my my thing is in web3 i think we need i, I think we need that like I wish we had something where you could trust someone based on some sort of reference, um, you know, background check thing that they had to kind of go through um, to prove kind of the value that they say they bring to the table. But that's just my viewpoint. Go ahead, Michael.
9: What, What about this from a verification standpoint that would just change the dynamic? I've been saying this for a while, if you remove the follower account, so nobody knows how many followers X has because that completely changes entire dynamics. So you're talking about how people can trust and value commentary. And uh, if you remove how many followers somebody has, this immediately means that people are going to have to listen a little bit more and actually gain a little bit more uh, paying attention to what people are saying and doing.
6: That's an interesting proposition. I I would say, uh, James, I think you're, um, your sort of idea is, is good, but the problem is, you know, human sort of systems are are as flawed as humans themselves. So it's like, you know, how do you verify and where do you verify? And I mean, you look at things like, you know, even with the checkmark, I mean, in a lot of cases, um, you know, the checkmark means that, you know, somebody bought an account from somebody with a checkmark who was selling it. And then like the amount of scammers that like buy a checkmark, and then go and try to look legit and like steal people's you know board apes to like, try to look um, you know like they like you know steal someone's board ape. So to speak, it happens. And so um, you know I I don't know if there's like a perfect way to determine credibility. It's almost like you you really just have to depend on people to um, I don't know to to actually have some degree of judgment and listen, which unfortunately a lot of people don't um but you have to kind of trust people to sort of like listen and say like oh okay they're they're actually um you know they have credibility based on what my ears tell me versus you know otherwise um you know i the follower count kind of thing's interesting I, I just don't know as weird as this sounds like there is something to be said about you know if i'm looking at two accounts and can't tell which one's which and i'm like oh okay this one's the real board ape account because they have a million followers Um, so I don't know, like, I I think it's a, it's an interesting thing for me to marinate on. Um, but I don't know that I, I don't know if there's like a good solution. I think it's, I think for, in a lot of ways, it's people just have to use that, you know, they have to do their research. They have to use proper judgment, uh, and, and figure out like what they, you know, what they, what they see to be, um, credible and true. I, I don't know. I, I, th- I guess that's that's kind of the only way I can see it happening. And I hate saying that because that puts the honest on the people who were just you know saying maybe aren't paying as as close of attention as maybe they should. Um, but you know, I, I think it's also probably the best path forward. I think.
0: Go ahead, James.
1: No, no, go ahead, Saki.
0: No, I said, I think humans. This is the human. Beard. Like we we become cu- accustomed to a certain thing. We like things fast and easy, and um, I think the check mark uh, being a way to you know give someone credit instead of actually doing the research about the person is is like the, the easy route for people, right? They like to they like to not think, just like with these projects um, that their people are just buying. They like to see, okay, I know this person is smart. Let me go ahead and buy what this person is buying. So I think um, you know, uh. Especially with the vigilante spaces, it's giving people, you know, not giving people, um, what can I say? They're not thinking, right? They need accountability. People need to be doing things on their own. You know, you, how I learned in trading, how I learned how to trade, how I learned how to manage money was by making mistakes and taking L's, right? It wasn't by, It was reading books, but that's not in practice, right? You don't really understand until you make the mistake. And I think a lot of people, they make the mistake, but then they blame versus being accountable for their own actions. And it creates this kind of mob mentality where people want the pitchforks and want to kill the person or or, uh, slander the person who either made a mistake, because a lot of times it's a mistake. So either make them made the mistake or don't have good business practices to start with, you know, um, they go after them with pitchforks and, and, you know, and to me that just takes away the accountability portion of things. And I think that, you know, we need to do a better job in this space not, to hold ourselves accountable on top of the fact that, I mean, not saying that we shouldn't hold other people accountable, but, you know, more so holding ourselves accountable and doing better the next time. And that's how, you know we grow and change in this space. What's up, Mary Beth?
3: Uh,
8: since someone was asking about project verification, right? And I understand. So I wanted to know if that meant like rug pull, real project that's not going to potentially rug pull. Like, how do you even define that? Because projects have the ability to get verified. There are different avenues. Like, if you ever try the verification process, I mean, you do it just like, uh, small local you know franchise that doesn't even make sense like a regional franchise right um you can do that whether it's through analytics or through news sources if you've been mentioned in other verified news sources but i mean there is a way i just think that people if you're asking how to get verification just to help the community help identify who's not just a bad person but then the reason why Twitter has verification is for actual identity and that's it. They're not saying that they're a good person or a bad person or a bad or good, you know, organization. You know, we have plenty to say about a lot of other companies that exist. They're not our cup of tea. Do you get what I'm saying? Like it's boy a rug pull. Do you get what I'm saying? Like it's not everyone's cup of tea, but they're verified. Um, and I know, I understand it's like an, a corporate enterprise, but it it's, there's, I feel like I I don't know if the, if the question is about being verified on Twitter or just
1: no I, I it was more label on it was more about Web three and yeah and yeah it's like okay. I get look I get the blue check mark I actually respect it to a lot of degree Steve's point is valid like that happens but there's there's always going to be somebody to scam the system what I was getting at and I was going to make a joke before um, if we only had a technology that could provide both you know ownership and authenticity. Um, that would be great. So, I think that, um, I think a social media platform that existed maybe on the blockchain that you know you connect your wallet, um, to that and and you do some sort of KYC mechanism, um, with that that can then kind of um follow you around if you want. I know people can make don't other- they
8: have that? They have that. Well,
1: like- here, here's here's the thing like, like their wallet, like this is you, so they know who you are, like there's got to be. We've got I think we're gonna look back on the on the anonymity side of, of where Web3 started and we're gonna laugh. Um, because I don't that, that can't have legs. It can't. That's not sustainable long term because it doesn't exist in the real world. And and this is all headed to real world application in in my view.
8: Mirror.xyz. There was something in there. I started the process, but I was like, Oh, verify your actual Um, Twitter handle here with your this wallet address Um, verify you know that this is your organization or your personal self's wallet and I saw that somewhere that had to do with mirror.xyz if anyone you know had knowledge on that but that I I just think we don't know enough about it or it's at least not spoken about
1: well it's about adoption right and it's also about people um, demanding that that's used so think about like sustainability and fashion um, to segue, um, that's been around for years and years and years, but that doesn't mean that it's demanded by the consumer and therefore it's not utilized by the companies. But now, as it becomes a demand from the consumer to say, hey, we want to know where these products are made and we want you to pro- uh, provide proof of the supply chain and of the provenance of that, now all of a sudden more companies are like, okay, well, we have to do this because... You know, we've got a we've got to play to the crowd. And I think in web three, we're gonna see that same transition is when the consumer starts to demand with their wallets, with their money, right? When they vote with their money and say, unless you have this stamp of certification that we know you're a legit founder, you're doxxed, you've went through whatever, we're not gonna buy your project. Until that happens, none of this is gonna change. And I've seen it like <laughs> Whatever it was a few months back or whatever, even with Goblins, like before Goblins, there was this big thing. It was like a whole week of like, we all talked about how it's, you know, da da da, da, da. And then they came about and they started raising hell in a space. And like, people didn't even know who they were. They just, they're like, take my money. You know, and this happened, you know, it, it happens periodically again over and over again. And until that really stops, I don't think we're going to see a massive change. So I think the consumer needs to demand the verification and then the companies will follow suit.
0: So what's that, Breeza?
10: What's up? Um, So, yeah, I feel like that comes with education. And by design, in a capitalistic society, they don't want us educated. They don't want us to know how bad it is for the environment, um, for our fast fashion, or for our plastic cups, or to fill our cars, because they want us to continue to consume. So, by design, we are left to be. Uh, our own investigators, our own Sherlock Holmes. We're supposed to be the ones that are actually following the paper trail of where our things are coming from, and I feel like as innovators, we have to make these tools easier to follow that paper trail. You know, in the same way that there's a teenager who's following all the jets that are that are uh, all the oligarchs are flying, and they're saying like, here's here's the Twitter account of where all the jets are going. This is and this is where they're landing. We need that same sort of dedication and uh, developers that are like, hey, this is actually where all the clothes from HM are coming from. These are how much they're getting paid to make them. This is actually the ecological footprint that is happening. Is it really worth that $25 dress? Is is the $25 dress really worth the 25 years of uh, eco-terrorism it's going to cause? And I think that's where we have to get smart as uh, consumers and developers and really as the pioneers in this space is to make those tools readily available to say what kind of impact does this have when i purchase this starbucks like how how far is this going to go and that's by design we're not supposed to know because they want us to continue to consume and to be broke and to be in debt so um, I think that's the honest is on us to figure out a way to educate our consumers exactly where their money is going and what sort of ecological effect it is happening because right now there is a disconnect that people don't care. And not to mention people don't have the capacity. They're so they're so um, overwhelmed and inundated as it is, uh, they don't want to know really that shopping at Walmart is actually bad when it is the cheapest and most viable option that is available for them. So we really have to, Meet people where they're at, and try to educate them as much as possible, and, and give them these tools at their fingerprints, so that they can actually make these educated decisions. Because by design, we are left in the dark to to figure that out on our own, and that's not fair.
0: I, l- I love that you said it about Walmart too, because the funny thing is, is that's that's literally the the only, in some cases, it's the only place to shop in certain towns. So, like you know, it's like I have to shop here. You get what I'm saying? It's the saddest thing ever. And uh, I know back in my neighborhood in Philadelphia, we had corner stores where they sold potato chips and all the greasy foods, but we didn't have a grocery store. So that was that was our food. Our food was from these corner stores. So, you know, it's it's like, you know it's bad, but you gotta shop there. You gotta eat there because you have to survive. So it's it's that's just, uh, it's, yeah, like you said, pizza.
10: That's- and now you can shop there in Roblox. That's- that's that's actually by design though. I mean, having these food—oh yeah—these food deserts is by by design, and they know that when they move in. And I don't know if anybody has noticed, um, Trader Joe's or Whole Foods do not go to the ghetto. <laughs> no, they are no. not going to go. You no, know no. what I mean?
8: Like, that's by design as well.
10: So we just have to be smarter consumers.
8: Actually, they go to sprawling suburban developing areas, which then developers use as data to where they are going to build, and then which ups the economy around that area. But good. Yeah. Mm hmm.
0: exactly what they do i always
8: i tell people if you're looking for real estate like looking for land go look on uh trader joe's website because they will tell you where they they are building in the next couple years and so i always use that as a resource to say where the next up-and-coming neighborhoods are
0: i think yeah like i noticed that too especially with whole foods soon as soon as whole foods they like um our neighborhood my neighborhood for example this is a, a gentrified area. They want Whole Foods. They want a Whole Foods. They're like, can we get a Whole Foods? Can we get a Whole Foods? I'm like, oh, hell, here come the Whole Foods and Starbucks. But anyway, um, I know somebody else had their hand up. I've, I just forgot who
9: it was.
1: Uh, Bowery, Bowery Social. Bowery. And, and then Perfect. Yeah.
9: Hey, guys. Um, so much fun back with that little conversation. Uh, I'm going to go flip it back to the fashion issues. Yeah. Um, One of the biggest things that I've noticed, and even within my family, is education is one thing, but it's reprogramming our our um, customers, our possible customers, our future customers that ten dollars, yes, that's what you can afford for a T-shirt, but it's reprogramming them to say no. I need to save because a $50 t-shirt, $100 t-shirt is actually made in an ethical way, but also making sure that even those brands are being ethical in, their, in what they're doing. Because at the end of the day, those are even dicey. So it's kind of like there's a lot of, well, my paycheck will only allow me to buy, you know, $100 t-shirt where I can buy 10, $10 t-shirts and have a whole wardrobe. We have to reprogram. The way we shop, how we shop, Uh, I've talked about this in the past with NFTs and uh, blockchains and how that can allow companies to continually make money on clothing that's resold um, so they don't have to rely on the customer constantly coming back to buy more, 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 more. Um, The fashion industry is one of the worst when it comes to pollution and trash. Um, Hundreds of thousands of tons of clothing are thrown away every year Um, and I have my own hangups on it because I am starting a brand and contributing to that is hard. Sustainability is even more difficult because, even that, you know, they want to, you want a sustainable cotton, you have to buy 10,000 yards of it. Okay, so now I'm making 10,000 sweatshirts out of it. And who needs 10,000 sweatshirts? So it's like, is that sustainable in its own right? Massive backlogging there that we have to think about. And how do we train our customers? And I'd like to hear somebody else how they might do something like that.
0: I, I can't answer the train their customers situation, but I would like to talk about sustainability after James answers the
1: that part. I know he wrong. Well, well, I was just going to say, you have to you have to consider the trade-offs, right? Like what is look? There's First of all, there's no such thing as, as fully sustainable um, product. And anybody that tells you otherwise, un- unless they are using an electric uh, ship to get the stuff from one coast to the next, um, or, or an electric car. Like if everything along the process is fully, like it just never happens. Um, so you, you need to do, um, you need to make the choice that's going to be the best um, possible solution. And what I mean by that to answer your question is um, you need to educate your consumer. You know, like for us, it's producing only what we sell. Does that mean we might have to make a trade off and, and use dead stock in certain situations? Yeah. But what are we doing? We're utilizing fabric in some cases it's sitting around, right? Or we're utilizing fabric that might not be, um, um, like you said of the, of the highest sustainability, but then I have to produce 10,000 yards, which actually ends up being worse. So you have to figure out the trade offs and just be transparent and educate and say, look, this is what we're doing. This is how we're going to build the brand. Um, You've heard me speak about sustainability, but that's not a cornerstone of what we're doing, right? The cornerstone of what we're doing is being efficient with how we're producing and allowing the consumer to have a a say in that process. We'll get to a point to where we can start preaching more of that because we're actually going to be able to utilize it um, to a degree, but there's going to be trade-offs. You cannot win that battle from the beginning based on what you just said, and you and I both know that because we've been in the industry. It doesn't start that way. When you have the power and the money, you can certainly end it that way, but starting that way is near impossible.
0: So I wanted to talk about sustainability, right? So my, I consider myself a minimalist, not when it comes to you see my my makeup and my nails, but my clothing, right? I decided to, shut up. <laughs> I decided to a while back to start, um, you know, to become a minimalist. So I took all, every single item of clothes and, I give it away, you know, and I've always, I've always given away clothing. I haven't, I haven't, oh, sorry. I haven't uh, thrown them away. And I always think about, there's a lot of waste. like there's a lot of clothing waste. You go through the clothes in your house, you throw them in the trash. You're too lazy to go take them to some families that may need them. You're too lazy to go and then you might be too vain to go get some clothes that has already been used and worn, you know. So, you know, there's this issue with, um, you know, this this pride thing too when it comes to buying worn clothing. and I can tell you this because I was a, I was a retro thrift shopping girl. I like the to go in the retro shops and you know grab the clothes from the seventies and try to look different, right? But you know, I would get flack because they were secondhand clothing, you know, even though I purchased them with secondhand clothing. And I think there's this kind of stigma when it comes to that, you know, secondhand clothing. And I really, is there any other way, too, when it's to for my fashion folks in here that create, is there any other way that we can be recycling uh, material to make new material, right?
10: <laughs> yes. Yes, there is. It's called clothing swaps, ladies and gentlemen. What you want to do is you want to organize clothing swaps with your community. You want to get in your group chats with your girlfriends that are in your neighborhood and say, "Hey, um, we're having a clothing swap on this day. We are not buying anything. We are going to swap. And you bring, you t- say what your sizes are. And if you can do like a quick little video wearing some of the clothes, that helps too, just to kind of give people an idea of what you're going to bring. And then have different sizes. Make sure like, you know, if you got a big girl coming, she's going to have some clothes too. So make sure you got another big girl that's going to come and give her some clothes too. And do a clothing swap with your friends. And I did this in college. I did this um, at USC. I had a girlfriend who had recently lost a bunch of weight and I had gained a bunch of weight. And guess what? We were the same size, but opposites. And her clothes fit me and my clothes fit her. And she was like, I would never buy purple jeans in my life, but these look so good. And my butt looks so good. And she like was so happy with it afterwards that I was like, this is the way we have got to make this a normal thing where we're doing a clothing swap. And then your friends are not so petty about it. Not, which is crazy because my broken friends have to buy new clothes and I'm like oh well that's why you're broke because you're always buying new clothes now it makes sense but with my friends that were petty like that they were like oh but it's you it's just you wearing this and and you only you only wore it you know a couple of times and it's coming from you and for some reason that was easier for them than getting it from a thrift store because they knew it was me and they knew I wasn't a cochina and they knew that I washed my clothes so all of these are things to consider I do I I recommend this for men and for women Please, please organize a clothing swap in your community, on your next door blog, in in your group chats, whatever it is. And you would be so surprised how happy you could make somebody do it with prom dresses, do it with wedding dresses, do it with whatever you have that is just taking up space in your closet. And you would be so surprised how happy you can make somebody.
9: I kind of want to jump in on that, too, because there's um, there's. Yes, that's a great way to do it. But there's also, um, for clothing that's not able to be worn again, let's say it has a hole in it or stain on it or something like that, um, there are really great resources if you look online in your local city um, of recycling uh, fabrications. So things like um, polyester can be recycled, cotton can be recycled, and then respun spun into new yarns. Now, the yarns aren't as good are as fine as the original but they make for really good sort of inexpensive versions of the clothing the more we use it the cheaper those fabrics are going to get um and then we could use those to supply places like walmart h m etc cetera, etc to so that their their impact isn't as heavy on the environment as they are right now
5: bruce bruce bruce
9: Oh my god! I mean, I love
5: the clothing swap idea, and also uh, about the clothing, the fabric upcycling. Um, what's been amazing for me is I, Stacky, like you, have been a huge thrift fan, vintage fan, etc. My whole life, I had a, an old grandmother who used to like to go buy old, other old dead people's things. So I got it from her. But um, what's been really amazing was in the past 10 to 15 years, people who used to go, ew, that's someone else's clothing, is this used? Um, those same people have sort of, I've seen it with my own eyes and change their minds because of sort of the embrace of it. And people, I guess, sort of, I hate to say it, but coming out of the closet um, and making this a nor- the normal regular thing that it is and that it always has been. Um, you know, I don't think that, you know, before World War II, you had this need for consuming more and more and more. People had, you had like two suits, three dresses, you know, for every season and you changed it out. So it's, it's this post World War II mentality of, I have to have more, I have to have more, I have to have more that it's so nice to see changing. I
0: love it. I agree. What's up, I
6: I was going to say, I feel like to answer the question more earnestly, though, is I I think you have to incentivize the consumer. Because I think if we know what we know to be true about consumer behavior is that, one, uh, America in particular, but the world is we are a culture of consumers. Like, that's just the nature of both America and the world in general. But more America than anything, when you look at our GDP sort of export versus import and sort of that ratio of how much we make versus how much we spend there. Um, it's it's actually concerning. It's, it it goes the wrong way, but I think like it's important for us to like think about like what would actually incentivize the consumer to do it so that we can get a benefit on both ways. You know, like one of the things I love to make you know an analogy. One of the things I love about Web three is that it is the opportunity to incentivize consumers and companies with shared incentives, right, or with shared benefits, um, shared outcomes. Where it's like, okay, well, if I as a company If I, as Taylor Swift, have issued NFTs and I make those more valuable, they sell for more on the secondary sales. And then I make income in perpetuity on that and reward my earliest fans, right? And so so that model works and it works across any industry. And I think with fashion, as far as like the sustainability angle goes, how do you make dual incentives that aren't just doing the right thing? Because, you know, you mentioned it, like when you look at Walmart or anything else, it's become you know or, or any any sort it's become extremely expensive comparatively to eat healthy right like like to eat healthier um, it's become extremely difficult for a lot of people to uh, to get things that are are well made and, and made like it could cost more money and so that cost barrier is naturally gonna be a barrier to entry for anybody who is actually shopping for these things so I think what's interesting is like what could be a shared incentive where it's like a um, you know to, to use the um, the old um, sort of uh, almost an NFT analogy again, like is there a burn mechanism where it's like if you return, you know, X amount of shirts, you get X for free or this is the prize you would get for bringing in these or downsizing to this. And I don't know what what the answer is, but I think unfortunately the answer is going to have to be, there has to be some level of shared incentives that the consumer is incentivized outside of the goodness of their heart because, well, I totally agree and I'm not trying to be crass when I say it because I agree and I you know, I try to do practices. I mean, I live in a one car household because, you know, and part of the reason is that we don't need two cars. I can eat at home, sustain at home and not drive places, um, you know, that are unnecessary because we realize that outside of some kids activities, when they overlap, we could carpool and we could use less gas. And I know it's a little thing. Um, but for me, it works and it's a little thing. And so, so we have these little incentives that we do that are better for the environment. It's important. But Like There's two things that come into play. One, corporations continuing transparently to be more sustainable because they're being forced to by consumers who want to share the values with businesses they work with, right? I mean, that's a Gen Z and a uh, millennial trait uh, primarily is that you want them to share values. But two, like I I guess the brainstorm would be, and I don't know that I have it off the top of my head, is what is a shared incentive that you could get where the consumer would be incentivized to do something sustainably positive? Would it be, you know, positive actions that result in points or certain things for a store that gets you, again, that potentially gets you more stuff? But um, is it a digital world where there is digitalized incentives, right, where, you know, in a futuristic Web3 world where Macy's has Macy's coin or whatever, you earn more Macy's coin by doing more sustainable practices or you get more digital rewards that maybe don't do the damage to the environment that the physical do. Um, and I don't know what those are. Like, I'm just like spitballing and literally making it up as I walk around my basement. But I just wonder if there is like, the, I think the answer to your question, to me personally, is just from a practical level, there has to be a shared incentive because unfortunately, as humans, unless we're given an incentive where there's like, it's the with them. What is in it for me? Right. Um, you know, and, and I think that that's something that we're always going to be looking for, um, you know, as consumers. So I, I wish I had a really good answer for it, but I think the answer is just, there has to be a shared incentive between the brand, even if the brand is taking say they're doing the best thing and the consumer that would make them want to stop being, um, you know, consumers. And then you also have, and, and at the end last thing I'll say is the conundrum that that deals with is that by nature, when you're scaling a business, particularly when you have shareholders, you know, your sort of, you know, responsibility to your shareholder, so to speak, quote unquote, is you want to sell more product. Well, if you want to sell more product, you're creating more product, you're creating more waste. And so, you know, how do you flip paradigm? And again, I don't have a good answer for it. But in the fashion industry, it's hard because by nature, it's clothes. And the more you switch out clothes and change styles, the more money you make as a company – So you have to figure out a way to shift the paradigm. And I don't know what it is outside of trendsetters saying it's cool and then trying to go from there. So I don't know that that was a lot of, that was a lot of stuff, but I think it's a really, really tough question to answer.
1: No, but I think, I think you're hitting upon some things that the the technology that that we've all invested in can actually solve. Right. You start talking about loyalty points, maybe in the form of a PO app or something uh, upon purchase. Like I think there's an interesting play there, you know, China has, China introduced that, that social score, um, which there it's it's terribly bad because of the way that they utilize it, um, but there are benefits to to that system, right? So that could be something here. I, I could actually see catching on, and it's like the more socially good things you do for the environment through your purchases and um, practices, you could um, you can get credited for that and kind of have like a social score in a sense. Um, and, and I think I think as the the kind of younger generations um develop further i won't be shocked if we see things like that uh because because that's something that that they believe in and, and to your point steve until that's demanded by the consumer it's not going to happen and why does the consumer demand it when they become emotionally invested um in
6: it and i think that that's what we're seeing from the younger generations go ahead Try no back. i was going i was gonna say i kind of had like a little bit of a i don't know if this is a light bulb or this is extremely stupid but we're gonna say it anyway and see where it goes um, like I think about like, um, you know, when I, I, both my own behavior, the behavior of my kids, and then some things I've heard from Bill Tai. He, he's one of the co-founders of Unchained Monkey. He was the first investor in Zoom. Um, and to tie those things together, you know, I think of myself. When I used to play fantasy football in college, I used to play it on Yahoo because I got these stupid Yahoo trophies. And they meant so much to me to have these digital trophies because I could flex that I dunked on my friends in fantasy football. And similarly, I think about, you know, my kids and and the incentivization of, you know, in Roblox and Minecraft, when they do certain things, um, they get, you know, certain rewards in like Pet Simulator X or whatever. And they're digital virtual goods that they're excited about, a rare, legendary, or whatever. Um, And Bill Tai had mentioned this other idea, and I promise this is all going to go together, where he had talked about, like, he was the first investor in Zoom. He's like, what if there is a world with a Web3 tie-in with Zoom where you can actually, based on your donation, Flex in the background of your zoom background, a verifiable, I donate to this charity. So it's almost like a social flex that you had done something positive. Right. And that's, that's something he had talked about. Um, and that they were like, Hey, maybe we can implement that. So kind of like putting those ideas in a giant blender and, and getting them in the Vitamix. What if we were to like to say, like, look, if you like for sustainable practice, for provable sustainable practices, you know, in a world where the metaverse becomes an important thing, which I truly think it will, like, you know, I think digital art will matter more when we can display it in our in our houses, in a Minecraft Roblox like world and shopping online on websites and going through a metaverse to shop online in that way and and can both shop physical and digital goods that way. Like, I wonder if that's the incentivization where it's like, the things you do online, you know, again, when I was at Progressive and we sponsored uh, we sponsored the Sim Social on Facebook, you went through this ridiculously, uh, you know, uh, time intensive uh, practice to get a unicorn lawn ornament that had flow on it, right? And people did it because they interacted with the brand in, in that way and they got this digital reward. So I do wonder if like the sustainable practices could be tied to a digital reward. The digital reward is minimal on a cost perspective for the company to make and put on the blockchain, particularly... Uh, you know, proof of sort of, you know, stake blockchain like a flow or a polygon that could do tons of microtransactions at a low cost. And maybe the digital reward is what the incentivization is to be more sustainable and through a provable sustainability, you know, sort of, you know, checklist, you get that and not only do you get it and you get this special thing not a lot of people have, it is actually a digital flex that you're a good person. And people like to be able to digitally flex that they're a good person. And and so that's like one like pie in the sky future way of approaching the problem is you reward IRL taking care of the planet shit with actual shit in the metaverse. And then you can just be hoarders in the metaverse where um, there's not really much, um, you know, it just, all you're doing is, is putting something onto a blockchain with far less impact. I don't know. That's, that's my, my first like brainstorm idea.
0: So we're going, I'm going to go to Breeza and then I want you guys to, while, while we're talking, Go ahead and comment at the bottom. Fashion Friday. So we can pick one here and then retweet the room. So this is, we're halfway through. This. Do, do I need to update my phone? I got a plus symbol down in the bottom right. I, I, I don't know why some people have a plus symbol. have no clue. Yeah, but it's a blue, it's a little blue thing. I'll go ahead and uh, share the spaces to the top so you can you guys can comment underneath it. But go ahead, Brisa.
10: Um, Yeah, I I just feel like the fundamental problem here is that um, climate change is not sexy enough. That's what I've realized. Like, sustainability is just not sexy enough. Like, I try to get people to come into our spaces talking about climate change. Nothing. Crickets. But if somebody wants to go to a space to talk about alpha or marketing or some other nonsense, then yeah, then that's gonna be like full, full speed ahead. So we fundamentally were taught as children that it's not called, well, we were taught global warming. Now as adults, we're calling it climate change because that actually sounds better. And that's actually easier and more palatable and not as scary as the word global warming. So um, we have to figure out a way to just make the severity of the emergency mode that we're in sexy, so people actually wanna get involved. And you're right about trying to have a rewards program because think about it, they give you 10 cents every time you bring a, a reusable bag to the store and it shows up on your receipt and you see that and you're like, okay, cool, I'm gonna keep doing this because otherwise it's gonna cost me 10 cents every single time I come to the store. Not to mention like, you know, you're know, you gonna have a bunch of bags, et cetera, et cetera. So when, it, when you think about these sustainable programs, I cannot help but think of Patagonia where Patagonia has a buyback program and where they actually have multiple programs when it comes to their clothing. I actually dropped a link um, in the chat for Patagonia. I just read it. It has like six different programs from being uh, environmentally friendly to buying back what they have. And I think that's amazing because that, that is showing like, hey, Patagonia is doing the work. You want a business model? Patagonia. They're doing amazing. They're really doing amazing work out there. And that's somebody who could scale on a scalable level and say, look at how successful they are and look at what they're doing for their for their community. Not to mention the owner who just like donated a whole bunch. But I think that was a tax break, but that's a totally another story. I'll take. No, it? They,
3: I'm pretty sure they donated the whole company. Pretty yeah. much all profits from the company and going forward are going to basically go directly to global charities.
10: Amazing. So that so that is incredible. So so shout out to Patagonia. If you guys are not rocking with Patagonia, check them out. If you find them in a thrift store, rock with them. Patagonia is an amazing brand. Um, I also want to talk about another brand called Universal and the, the cool thing about Universal is that they have um, size fluctuation because they understand that especially American women our sizes fluctuate. And just because we saw something in a size medium and we're like, we're going to lose weight and be able to fit in that, that might not happen. So Universal has a way that they will actually take the clothing back and send you a bigger size or a smaller size. And I think that's sustainable because that's going to help people not be so afraid to shop um, depending on their size because they're actually able to change their size if it fluctuates and not be penalized for it.
3: That also comes down to just, I think part of the schooling system needs to integrate just simple, like, sewing skills back in. (laughs) Because, I I mean, my mother used to tailor all of my clothes growing up. Like, I, I wasn't allowed to leave the house without my pants hemmed exactly how she felt they were supposed to be. I always liked them a little more cropped. But, you know, you had to go with what your parents put you in. And I think it's important, though, for all of us to sort of look at how we've been uneducated about an entire aspect of a system that we could really, you know, do ourselves. And and that's not saying stop buying clothes, but that's saying, yes, clothes are just sort of the shell. It it all comes down to fitting and tailoring. And if you you know simple tailoring, this isn't for all size inclusion, but for a large percentage of it, you know, yeah, none of the clothes are made for you it comes down to how the clothes then get tailored to your body. So I, I think it it's just us sort of relearning and re-educating each other about how to engage with fashion and to re-educate because the assumption is that you walk into a store and leave with something. But, you know, nine times out of ten, you're not going to leave the store with something that fits you perfectly unless you're one of those lucky bodies, like, shapes. <laughs>
0: Watch and see, I think sneakhead hit his hand up, first, but you know. oh, go ahead, go ahead, Lauren, hey. hello,
2: happy Friday. Hey, I feel like with the holidays this week, I feel like I've been like away from from Twitter, but I am I would never miss a Fashion Friday with my best friends and all of twitter. um question what and maybe sorry if we we had said this already. What are your thoughts on like how AR could potentially like eliminate waste or even, you know, with, I don't know, stores are starting to integrate that into like their try on process. Like, do we think that there's any opportunity there for, for increase in sustainability?
1: A hundred percent. That's going to, AR is going to not eliminate. I love when people agree with me. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's well, but, but the technology is obvious you understand the application, right? Like think about, think about, where, where, where do you see um, the largest returns, right? E-commerce, because the individual cannot try on the clothing. So imagine a point of sale experience um, utilizing kind of AR technology um, to make an avatar, cast the, um, cast the clothing onto um, the avatar or yourself, right? Like in, in, the, in an AR experience to be able to see what that garment looks like and the interesting thing about the technology and, and I actually have first hand knowledge of this because we're, we're we're there's a partnership there you can create an avatar one to one with phones now so with like 99.9% accuracy so you're creating this this representation of your actual body type the clothing brand knows the specification of the clothing that they've produced by style so you can input the data cross reference that information and you can know with a high degree of accuracy whether or not that garment's going to fit. So, so AR technology provides a massive benefit in terms of reducing waste, um, because if the person doesn't return it, sometimes they they you know they discard it. They it sits in their closet forever. It ends up getting thrown. There's just there's just a massive wastage factor because the technology hasn't been there um, to provide a better way. And, and then the other part of it is. If you were in the store and you could look at a garment and get more information, um, if it was your phone's AR capability or glasses or whatever, on that product, was it sustainably made? Where did it come from? Did it meet certain standards? You might be more apt to pick up the clothing that matched what you were after if that was something that was important to you. So I think there's a multitude of applications in terms of the technology.
2: Absolutely. And I even think looking at like, I know we say like the waste of keeping the product, but like if you look at the percent of, of sales versus percentage of return for just Revolve, right? I think it's a massive, 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 amount. And even look at the sustainability of the return process, shipping it, delivering delivery having somebody pick it up so like even that process if, if that can be eliminated I think that would be a huge factor like it's I it's billions of dollars I'm pretty sure and forgive me if I'm misquoting my numbers of return the, of dollars and returns from from revolve alone so absolutely I'm I'm, I'm super excited and i keen to see how that you know continues to evolve
0: love it Lauren
2: i right. I'm also loving like the daily stacky PFP like I'm at dying. this point we could almost have a 10k collection and I'm here for it
0: wait wait yeah I'm thinking about it now
2: <laughs> I love it
1: I, thinking about it now. I have a question um okay. I don't mean to change the subject it's not really changing too much of the subject because it's very relevant and and I do want to say uh relevant has anyone seen the news on the Nike artifact patents that were released two weeks ago? Um, it's I, I, I'm shocked that this isn't getting more play because the implications are pretty high if I'm reading it right. Um, does anybody know about it or do you want me to kind of bring everybody up to speed on what I know?
0: I think you and Matt might be the best for this.
1: Sure. So- <laughs> So two weeks ago, on September 22nd, um, Nike released a patent, and this is really interesting. They are patenting multi-layer digital graphics, digital assets, NFTs in a digital environment. And I want to understand what the far-reaching ramifications of that will be for other individuals that try to do wearables because the way that it reads is the method of a of a first digital graphic and second digital graphic file layering an image from the second digital graphics file on the primary digital asset to form a multi-layered digital asset and displaying that in a digital environment that just sounds like a digital wearable to me which means that now Nike is going to own the patent on that and that's like that's almost like a full stop for me um if I'm if if that is what's correct and I'm just kind of shocked that people that have environments that they're creating um aren't talking about this more and maybe it's just because they don't know or or they're not it's just flying under the radar but um yeah wait sorry
2: they would own the patent on anybody wanting to create a wearable across any category like is that what you're saying
1: i mean the guy that owns the patent on the plumbing parts in the toilet if anybody wants to create a toilet has to buy those parts unless they recreate a way to do it so it's the way that I, the way patents work, and that that's like, that's that's the scary thing about patents and large companies that understand technology, is they have the ability to do things like this before other people do. So I I don't know what it's going to mean and, and how far that it goes, because it doesn't say category. And and you can go, I'll, I'll actually I'll go find this thread. I'm, I'm I'm on my computer, but I'll go to Bonbon bon and I'll, I'll pin this to the top so everybody can read it. It, it, it literally just really is specific to the NFTs and layer one, layer two, and talking about multi-layer digital assets, which I read that as a wearable because that's what a wearable is. So if I had a t-shirt with a, a coat over that on the original NFT, I, I, don't, I can't imagine Nike is after something different than, than what I'm, I'm referring to. So yeah, like what are
8: your thoughts there? Because to me, that's like WTF. like What the fuck? I'm reading up on it right now, so give me a minute. That seems.
2: I mean, maybe I'm naive to this, but like, would like that actually pass, like in a court of law? Knowing so many people are you are, are creating wearables already?
8: It hasn't passed. They've filed okay. more than sixty patents with the USPTO for a range of prototype developments, including a wearable quote energy harvesting device unquote. Um, which has potential to generate energy from heat. Okay, hold on a second. I'm kind of I'm looking into the layer stuff. But what they're doing is filing for a lot of patents based upon the technology of how to do x, y, and z. Um, but there are so many processes, I feel like in terms of all these layers and whatever you know, wearables that I feel like they would have to start with one micro process process at a time. Am I do you think I'm accurate there?
1: I don't, I don't know. That's, that's, that's what's scary. And, and it's just like a trademark in the sense where I think these go up for op- like a period of opposition, but if people don't oppose it and people don't say anything, it's like trademarks and patents are really weird like that. And it's kind of, it's sneaky. Um, and, you know, as someone that's filed for a lot of trademarks, there's a period of time where you cringe and you cross your fingers and you're like, I hope nobody opposes this because if they come with a, a viable argument, um, your trademark or your patent can get shot down. Right. So it's all about like, that's why I want to raise awareness on this, because I, I if it goes through and it gets registered, then it's law. But like it's, you can't infringe on someone else's patent. And that's what's a scary uh, situation is, you know, when you that's why they file like 60 of these things is they know that people are going to like thumb through and read everything. Um, unless they're legitimately, they have about
8: they them. have more patents filed that are done and filed than Lockheed and what was something else I answered or I just read they have like in terms of quantity of patents they have more than uh, and Ford Motor Company isn't that crazy?
1: That's that's insane if you if you understand what Lockheed does. That, yeah, I, that's I, I mean, scary that, actually. <laughs> I, I saw homeless jumped up when we started talking about this homeless. I didn't know if you had anything that you, you wanted to add on that. Or not. Wait, wait. What did you say, James? I didn't hear it. It was No, dirty. I said I, I saw homeless had jumped up. I didn't know if there was anything that, that they wanted to add here. Yeah, what's yeah, up, what's home?
7: Yeah, I'm here. Am I coming through? Yes, you are. Okay, I'm
3: just biking home. I had to pull over. Um, you know, the, the stackable NFTs, you know, that's just your avatar with stuff on it. That, that would be a tough one to get to go through the, the harvestable energy, you know, you'd have to wonder how that compares to little solar power or solar powered, um, calculators and those type of devices that people have used for decades. And maybe they're talking about using body heat and that kind of thing to get those, um, powered that they have some type of technology that they think will work for that. They're looking into multi-tech ones heat activated and the other one is going to be solar potentially like solar panels that are built into the fabrics.
1: So, so the interesting thing about the heat activated um, there was a company um, or there was this, um I don't know if it was a company, but a, a group of students and faculty and whatnot at Stanford uh, developed a kinetic um, like velcro and a kinetic material that w- the purpose of it and the idea was if they could create a material that u- utilized the motion of the body um, to create stored potential energy it could then be used to like charge your cell phone so if i line the inside of a pocket with this kinetic fabric um, and and kind of me moving around and walking and going throughout my daily life I could drop my my phone inside the pocket and it would charge the phone um, I'm wondering if, if what what is after in terms of like I'm wondering if there is an Nfc chip play to to power the Nfcs through these kind of fabrications um, because there's if you can create if you can create, NFC chips that are small enough that have a power source, there's a lot you can do with NFC chips. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering, given the fact that they're, they're Web3 Play, if that's something that they're after.
3: I mean, Nike is looking at a lot of their losses recently, and most of it is in their non-collaborative projects. So one of the things they're looking at definitely is tech, because, I mean, they, for the first time, gained in the secondary market, I think it was like $90 million or something, uh, 90.2 90 point two or something. And just gains off of, you know, off of a secondary market they've never been able to tap into for their digital goods. So, and that's on top of, I think it was like, I think the whole project grossed like a billion dollars or it was like a billion something. But they made about, I think, 200 million altogether with all the revenue streams. So it's looking at, you know, seeing that their tech side right now is booming they're not necessarily going to dump a ton of money into it because they still have the heritage and the buying power of a lot of their collaborations. And they're looking more and more to diversifying into that sector. So it's going to be a lot of trying to compete with Adidas in a lot of ways because Adidas has been working in the tech side of things a little bit more, I think, than the other companies. But yeah, sorry.
1: No, no, you're, you're, you're spot on. And, you know, they, they are, they, they are the number one um, non web three native company in terms of revenue generated. And, you know, they are also the first one to acquire a web three company. So I think that there's a correlation there that we could probably talk about, but Mary Beth's hand went up and then, and then Steph came up. So Mary Beth, what's up?
8: So I I see what you're saying now regarding Nike and the patents. So, uh their Nike's US patent number 10, 505, 726 is literally the name is really a system and method for providing cryptographically secured digital assets. It's very broad. Yeah.
1: And that's that's what worries me. Like
6: they, and, like yes. they want to own that.
8: <laughs> and then it they describe it as a system for minting, exchanging, and intermingling basically NFTs. In the form of now, it starts with shoes, which could be linked to to other things. But I definitely think they're doing that to start the approach, like to be ahead of the Adidas and Pumas and all those other brands. But really, that's such a general, like a a very broad patent that kind of maybe screws over (laughs) so many people. Do you get what I'm saying? So I get it now. Yeah, I mean,
1: that's like imagine if somebody was like, "Hey." we're, we're going to patent the concept of producing apparel like physically producing. We're going to, so anytime somebody wants to produce apparel, you're going to pay us a royalty, like get out of here with that. There's no way that can go through. That's just.